Well, I know we're still kind of trickling in some, but glad to get to teach y'all some stuff from God's Word about biblical leadership. It's something that's on my heart a lot as I consider my role as father, role as pastor, and uh, being blessed by many great leaders in my life who've influenced me for good. And the fact that we're blessed by other great pastors here on staff and Pastor Wes and his leadership. Um, it's good to focus on what we've been blessed with when it comes to leadership. It's also good for us to know and recognize what kind of leadership is not good too, right? And unfortunately, we have many examples of those in our world, and that's just how life goes. Well, let me open this up in prayer, and we're going to dive right into it. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that we can trust it. It's a sure foundation. No matter what people in authority might tell us, we know that your authority stands. Your word stands and can be trusted above all the words that any human can ever utter. So God, we rely upon the rock. We follow your leadership. And we listen to your heart and your mind and all things. We praise in your holy and beautiful name. Amen. All right. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie U571. It's a great, really cool movie. And there's an awesome clip in there that I will never forget because my first job out of Bible college was a part-time youth ministry job in New Jersey. The church was about maybe 50 people on regular attendance. My job was part-time youth pastor. And of course, there's an interesting thing as part-time ministry is just part-time pay. And so I had to also find um, money and health insurance. I worked as a barista to fill my time and also pay rent. And so it was an interesting first year right out of college, interesting first job. And I remember having a lot of different conversations with the senior pastor there, and he'd been there for a long time. And he was actually an immigrant from Rhodesia, which I believe right now is Rwanda. And um, he had a very fascinating accent that I will not attempt to imitate right now. Many have tried all have failed. <laughs> and uh, Pastor McGinnis, if you ever hear this, for whatever random reason, uh, note that uh, I still pay homage to your accent and will not try to muddle it up. In any case, I remember having a conversation with him once. And he said, yeah, have you ever seen this movie? I was like, yeah, I've seen this movie. He said, there's this great quote. And Matthew McConaughey plays this guy in this U-boat. They're on a special mission. And they're trying to find this cipher from like, I think, like, the Nazis or something so they can intercept their messages and whatnot, and they're trying to get it back to the U.S. and the secret mission, and the captain has died. And now, Matthew McConaughey is now the captain, and he's just like overwhelmed and does not necessarily know what to do or how to guide his crew in this very tumultuous situation. And the chief, you know, there's a moment, and the chief basically pulls him aside and gives him some wise words. Because when everything's going wrong, Matthew McConaughey, the crew asks him, what do we need to do? And he freezes, says, I don't know. Right? And the chief pulls him aside and they have this conversation. So we're going to watch this clip real quick and uh, pay attention to it. Oh, yeah, you can. What? There we go. Was that the laser? Yeah. Is it the right button? Left. <laughs> there we go. Permission to speak freely. Porsche. This is the Navy. Where commanding officers are a mighty and terrible thing. Man to be feared and respected. All knowing, all powerful. Don't you dare see what you said to the boys back there again. I don't know. Those three words will kill a crew, dead as a depth charge. You're the skipper now. And the skipper always knows what to do, whether he does or not. Okay. Well, the chief is espousing a certain kind of leadership, right? And today we're going to look at a lot of different kinds of leadership, different kinds of styles of leadership, and how we see them actually in Scripture some of them are good examples. Some of them are bad examples. A lot of them are theories that people have kind of postulated over the years and different emphases on different kinds of styles of leadership. This style of leadership 
may or may not be biblical. There's elements to it, right? I mean, he's basically telling him, lie. Don't be honest. You need to act like you have it all together all the time and you have the answer all the time no matter what. Maybe in that context, it's good, wise advice. I don't know. I was never on a U-boat in the Navy, so I can't speak to that particular situation. But leadership has severe ramifications, right? If you do not know what to do as a leader, you freeze up or have an issue and don't know what the next move is, that could have some drastic consequences. And so leadership matters. And we talked a little bit about that last Wednesday. I want to do some quick review. Leadership matters because we are either leading those we influence towards Christ or away from Christ. There's no Switzerland. This is why leadership matters so incredibly much. And uh, so we also talked about, am I getting ahead of myself? These are some of the key questions we talked about. Why does leadership matter? What does it mean to lead? How shall I lead as a Christian? What kind, and then we spent most of our time on that question. Then today we're going to talk about what kinds of leadership does the Bible portray. And then sort of in the same line of questioning, as we kind of go through that question at the same time in tandem, we're going to talk about what lessons in leadership do we see in biblical characters. And then if we have time, we'll talk about what wisdom does Scripture give us leading as well. And I've got some Scripture passages here I'll give to each of your tables to discuss and expand on. And if uh, we don't get to it, guess what? It becomes homework. Ha <laughs> ha! Because we love homework, right? All right, so hopefully we'll have time for it, right? Okay, uh, let's do this, continue our review real quick. Why does leadership matter? We, we tackled that briefly. Let's see if this, no, the clicker works. Oh, did you do it or did I do that? You didn't? Oh, it's working. Look at that. Okay, what does it mean to lead? We got a definition from Indeed.com, but the Bible definition is leadership is guiding others with the wisdom and love of Christ in whatever task role that God has entrusted or called you to. Okay, this is biblical leadership. This is our definition that we're laying down as our, as our foundation with Christ at the center of it. Okay. Uh, the third question how should I lead as a Christian? And we spent most of our time on that. There's a foundational thought here, which was part of being made in the image of God means leading creation right from the get-go. God designs mankind to subdue the earth, to benefit from the animals and the trees and the fruit of the trees there, and uh, to give names to the animals, to organize things, and to be a part of it, actively leading it. And uh, we've been commissioned for this. We've been commissioned, like a and too far. So we've been commissioned to actively participate in our world for its good and God's glory. As Christ, this world should be a better place because Christians are following Jesus. And we exist for God's glory. That's our purpose. To magnify Him, to lead others towards Him. That is our foundational thought. And so today we're going to focus on these two big questions coming up here soon. This is also, we've talked about this model. And if you want to find last Wednesday's notes, they're still back there. Uh, we have eternal, internal beliefs. We should need a model of how we see ourselves. Our motive needs to be the love of Christ. The manner in which we uh, live out being a wise leader needs to be marked by love and respect for other people around us. And then our uh, methodology, we should filter every good piece of knowledge and practicality through the mind of Christ. And so some, those are some of the things we covered last Wednesday. Today, we're going to talk about what kinds of leadership does the Bible portray? What kinds of leadership do we see? What kind of theories of leadership have been, has been talked about over the past century or so that we see examples of in Scripture? And then what can we learn from them as we kind of go along? So what lessons in leadership do we see as we look at these biblical characters, but also different leadership styles that we see in Scripture? So that's where we're going to spend most of our time today. And we're going to dive in deep. So have your Bibles ready. I might mention a Bible verse. We may not read it, but I put it there for your reference sake. So you might want to turn, it, turn to it, open, look at it, as we kind of talk about these ideas and references and these characters. And so... Let's do this, okay? And I, if you ever want to see some of my sources on this, I've got a bunch of research I did on this to put this together, multiple different websites and stuff I pulled together, different papers I found, and um, articles and whatnot to kind of piece this all together. But if you have any interest in that, just let me know. Uh, I've got 
those for you in case you're wondering. All right, first one you see in your notes there, adaptive leadership. Adaptive leadership. The example we see for adaptive leadership is Deborah, or as I like to say, Deborah, all right? She was a mighty prophetess who challenged the, uh, the men of her time to step up, okay? She's creative. She would sit underneath a palm tree to go through different disputes and difficult things. If you were a judge in that time, typically you'd be at the city gates, and people would come to you with their disputes or issues, and you kind of let them in, and then maybe they would have more of a, a conversation about that. If someone, for example, if someone accidentally killed somebody, they would run to one of these cities of refuge that Joshua himself had set up. They go to the city gate, explain the situation, like, hey, I was, you know, I think the example they give in Leviticus is, imagine if you're, you know, chopping wood and the axe handle flies off and hits somebody in the head and kills them, right? It's an accidental death, you know, the blood avenger, literally the person that <laughs> the family member is seeking out justice for the person that was killed from the flying axe head is after you. And so you go to the city of refuge, you go to the gate, you explain what happened, and then the judge will either let you in and let you, you, know, let you be safe until you get a court date or say, sorry, buddy, that does not sound like an accident. You're on your own. Okay? But Deborah would sit underneath a palm tree, which, and it says it's between... Uh, between Ramah and Bethel, which was a central spot. In other words, she could actually minister to and really counsel more people and have access. So there's a creative solution that was out of the norm. Adaptive leadership, they embrace change, challenging the status quo and favor experimentation and innovation. We see this example through Deborah. Uh, when they were facing challenges from the Canaanites, Barak, don't do it, Barak, Okay, was like the general, or it was over some, you could rally some people. And basically, Deborah was challenging him to fight the Canaanite king. And Sisera was the general of the Canaanites and had, I think, 900 horses and chariots. And that would have freaked out the Israelites. Remember, the Israelites did not have well-formed armies. They didn't really have swords like we think of them. They had spears and slingshots, and that was pretty much it. You know, and they didn't have chariots. That was a technological advantage the Israelites did not have. So imagine infantry versus like tanks, okay? They would have been similar in terms of disadvantage from a warfare standpoint. And Deborah says, you need to do this. God's going to be with you and challenges him. And Brock's response is, I'll go if you go. <laughs> I'll do it if you do it. It's like the first person to get up to dance in a middle school dance party. We're Baptists, so we don't know what that is. But, you know, uh, at a middle school dance party, you know, everyone's like, I'm not going to be the first one. You know, leadership, right? It's not just the first person that gets to the dance. A lot of times it's the second person, right? And uh, he, he says, I'll go if you go. So they go and they, com they concoct this really interesting battle plan, basically where they lure Sisera and his chariots across the Kishron River and he gets stuck in the mud and the rest of the army is hiding behind the mountain. They come out and surprise him and totally take, take him out. Okay, so creative means to solution, and God was in all of it, and that's sort of the adaptive leadership style we see with Deborah, which is pretty cool. Now, the key lesson we can kind of take away from this is this. Clicker is working. Boom. Oh, wait, well, so here, before I get to my main point, Deborah is sort of a biblical origin, and a world leader that would be a good example of this would be Abraham Lincoln. All right. Abraham Lincoln, someone who is adapting to the times and able to kind of figure out some creative solutions through difficult circumstances. But the main point I want us to take away from this is get ready to lead in unexpected ways through faith. If we're going to learn something from Deborah and the adaptive leadership that we see in her, get ready. Get ready. Be ready to lead in unexpected ways through faith. If we're trusting in God, He might ask us to step up in ways that are unexpected ways that we may not anticipate. So being ready, like being ready for his, his, his return. Right? We want, when he comes back, to find us busy. We may not know exactly when he's coming back. It feels like it might be really soon right now with everything going on in Israel, but we don't know. But we need to be ready. All right, let's look at the next leadership mo model or style that we see here, which is authentic leadership. Authentic leadership. An example we see for this is Peter. 
right? If we can think of anyone who is just raw and just what you see is what you get in Scripture, Peter was it, right? He lives, so Peter, authentic leadership, lives in keen understanding of who they are and leads through resilience and confidence of their strengths and for their mission. This is sort of the, the authentic leadership. They have a keen understanding of who they are, how God's made them, and is confident in sort of the mission that God has given them to do that. Think about the boldness of Peter and what he did. Remember when Christ said, who do you, you know, people say I'm this, people say I'm that, who do you say that I am? And who was the answer? It was Peter. You are the Christ. She said, upon this rock I'll build my church. And uh, when Jesus said, one of you will deny me, Peter said, no. Far be it from me, Lord. Not me. Of course, Jesus rebukes him. And he does end up denying him. And we see, you know, sort of the impetuousness sometimes, right? slicing that Roman guard's ear. Or um, after Jesus rises from the dead, we see this huge change in Peter when he's in the, the temple courts and he heals that lame man, silver or gold have I not? Rise up and walk for the glory of God. And then also testifying before the Sanhedrin. Peter was bold. He was authentic. He could see just his personality coming through. He wasn't trying to be anybody else and would go right in with what God had him to do. And if we're going to learn something from Peter in sort of this authentic leadership style, um, and before I get to that, I need to switch these things a little bit. But Mahatma Gandhi would be sort of a good example of sort of authentic leadership. Sort of, hey, the way I live is the way that I teach. Of course, with Mahatma Gandhi, there's a lot of other flaws there that I won't get into. These aren't necessarily good examples. These are just examples in our world today that might mimic that particular style, if that makes any sense. So we have our biblical examples, which are good, um, and our world leader ones are just references for that particular style of leadership that we might recognize and understand. But the main takeaway from this particular style of leadership is lead as God designed you as. Not somebody else. Lead as God has designed you, content with the gifts he's given you. Does an eye say to the foot, man, I wish I was a foot? Does a hand say to the kidney, man, I wish I was a kidney? No. We're all the body of Christ with different gifts God has uniquely equipped you to lead in a particular way. Don't try to be something different. Lead authentically. Lead as the person that God designed you as. Next one, autocratic leadership. Autocratic leadership. This one gets interesting. Our example here is God. All right? Um, total control. One leader exercises complete authoritarian control over a group or organization with no care or need for outside ideas. Obviously, for God, he has total control and total rule over all creation and over us, but it's good. It's benevolent. It's perfect, and we can trust it. And sort of the, the world leader version of this, I'm going to take a stab at some examples for this one. Someone take a stab at an autocratic leader in our world today? I want to just say it. Hitler or Stalin or maybe Putin, okay? These dictators, these guys. <laughs> maybe. Um, but someone who just, you know, literally there's no accountability for their leadership. Now, God doesn't need it, obviously, because he's God. He's perfect. He's good. But a human being, yeah, absolute power corrupts absolutely, right? An autocratic style of leadership is, uh, has total authoritarian control, little need or care for outside ideas or input. You know, if it was a company and the CEO is an autocratic leader, there would be no suggestion box, right? No suggestion box. All right, let's move on to charismatic leadership. Oh, um, before I get to that, ultimately, what we take away from this, remember who's ultimately in charge, right? If we're engaging in leadership as God has called us to lead in whatever capacity that might be, remember who is your boss. Remember who is leading us. We can't hope to lead anybody unless we ourselves are being led by God himself, unless we are being influenced by him. Remember whose authority we lie under. All right, now we can go to charismatic leadership. 
Charismatic leadership. Example seen in Scripture for this is Saul. David's predecessor. And not necessarily a great example in terms of his whole lifespan, but Saul's life actually started off pretty good. But his style of leadership was charismatic. And by that, I don't mean like he spoke in tongues, okay? Just in case you're wondering. All right, charismatic mean like he had a lot of charisma. He had a lot of physical attributes that were beneficial to him. A charismatic leader leads from existing magnetism and conviction, motivating others to accomplish um, inspirational goals. It's funny, you see how Saul, like the main attribute that describes Saul when you first meet him, he's a head taller than everybody else. It mentions it like twice. And Saul, who was a, a head taller than everybody else, ooh, look at that, he sure looks like a king. Goodness, man, he's tall. He's the tall one. He's, he's Mr. Leader Pants. He's tall. And uh, so he had that going for him. He was also, there's this really, when the first story with Saul is actually really cool. He gets word about what's happening in Jabesh Gilead, that they're under siege and they're going to be in a lot of trouble. And he sends a message to all Israel and rallies the troops. And he rallies a massive number of people. I think it says around 300,000 people. Like a huge number. Gets all of Israel together and rescues Jabesh Gilead. And at that point, at that point, the people of Israel are like, yeah, you're our king. Because when Saul's first anointed by Samuel. Yeah, he was a you know, head taller than everybody else, but they found him hiding in the luggage. And everyone's like, ah, fine. I guess, I guess he, he looks like a king. He's our king, but it's kind of anticlimactic. But after this, they're like, yeah, Saul, he's our guy. And he was inspirational. He motivated these people. He rallied the troops. He had a lot of charisma behind him, and he led from that. Obviously, that did not last or go well. Saul relied on that charisma and those physical attributes to lead and not on God himself. Ultimately, he didn't trust God. He trusted his own abilities and his own attributes. And so um, before we get to the takeaway on this one, an example of that might be Barack Obama, incredibly charismatic person, whether you like him or not, don't like him. He had a huge ability to influence people with a lot of charisma, Right? The takeaway here is don't rely on your strengths. Don't rely on your strengths, but trust God through your weaknesses. It's hard to do as a leader. We want everybody to know that, hey, I've got it all together. You can trust me. I know what I'm doing. But God wants us to rely on him through our weaknesses. What does the Apostle Paul say? Through my weaknesses, I am made strong through Christ. And that's my translation. Um, I'm paraphrasing. And where I'm weak, he is strong. And God's grace moves and works through our areas where we fall short because that's the power of the Holy Spirit. A good leader depends on the Holy Spirit, not on their own attributes and skills. Granted, God can use them all, but we cannot rely on those. We must rely on his power, his, his spirit. Next one, ethical leadership. Yes, every leader should be ethical obviously. But again, we're talking about different styles and different theories of leadership, how someone might lead to a particular attribute. And again, part of the reason why we're talking about these is one, learn something about ourselves, but also be able to recognize this kind of leaderships that we see out there, examples we see out there, different models we see out there, and actually test them against God's Word and, and how God maybe can use different kinds of personalities and different styles in a way that does honor Him. But ethical leadership, our example here is Joseph, Joseph did the right thing in some very difficult and trying circumstances. You look at Genesis 37 through 47. He, um, I mean, he was sold into slavery. And even when he helped a guy get out of jail, he was forgotten. And then he was used to save Egypt. And when his brothers showed up, he didn't throw them in jail. He didn't persecute them. He could have done all kinds of horrible things to them, but he forgave them. He did good. And doing right, even in difficult circumstances, is key. Now, with ethical leadership, it demonstrates and promotes moral conduct through personal actions and interpersonal relations, where the way they lead is primarily through thinking through their conduct. 
not necessarily maybe the influence, but by me behaving a particular way and putting an emphasis on that, then I'm modeling it for you, and that's how I'm going to lead. And, and so it's one way to look at it. Uh, obviously, like I said earlier, every leader should be ethical. But again, different personalities lead themselves to lead through a particular avenue and with a particular emphasis that might be different than other kinds of leadership. An example we might see for this is Billy Graham. Billy Graham, you, you can say what you will about the man. The man was amazing. Uh, but think of all the leaders and people that we have seen over the years have fallen morally, have had scandals about, the, about this or that. Billy Graham, goose egg, like nothing. And he was in the ministry for decades. And the man, when he met his Lord and Savior, the man was above reproach and accomplished great for God. But he led his life, the way he lived his life, was part of what made his leadership so powerful. He was the real deal, which was very, very special and unique. Let's talk about exemplary leadership. Oh, I'm getting ahead of myself again. Main takeaway here is when we live above reproach, it inspires others to raise the bar. If I live in such a way that really highlights the attributes of God, the love of God, the obedience to God, it's going to inspire other people to raise that bar too, to really not settle for compromised lifestyles. All right, now we can go to exemplary leadership. And again, a lot of these are styles or theories about leadership that people have put out there, especially this one here, combines several different ideas, and it's actually pretty helpful. But exemplary leadership, our example for this one is Nehemiah. Nehemiah, a lot of people will do whole sermon series or whole Bible studies just on the leadership of Nehemiah. There's so many great principles there for leadership. Exemplary leadership finds a good example in Nehemiah and what he did there. And with exemplary leadership, they model the way, inspire a shared vision, challenge the process, enable others to act, and encourage the heart. And Nehemiah sort of exemplifies all of those things. You look at how he built the wall, right? He inspected the wall. See, what resources do we have available? What's good? What's bad? Is this safe? Not safe? Problem solving? How are we going to build this when people are trying to attack us at the same time? All right, you're going to have your shovel in one hand and you're going to have your spear in the other and being ready for those things. He modeled the way. I mean, he took a daring, when I want to say it's Artaxerxes, but I could be wrong, which king commissioned him to go. Um, and he received favor from God to accomplish this and all the supplies that he needed. He worked with Ezra a lot, not just to build the walls of Jerusalem, but also to get people right with God, you know, to shepherd their heart, to, to challenge them, and to figure these things out. So Nehemiah is a great example of that. And um, as we look at a world example, that might be Nelson Mandela, right? A guy who was in jail for many years and came out and really solved apartheid in South Africa. Okay. Um, the main takeaway from this, God gives practical solutions to leaders seeking his wisdom and his heart. If you're trying to lead, whether it be in your ministry, or as a grandparent or parent, trying to figure things out, if you're seeking God's wisdom, if you're seeking his heart, he will provide practical solutions. We find practical solutions in our word, but also and the resources available to us. We talked some about that last Wednesday. But God will provide practical solutions if we seek Him. You know, when we as pastors meet, typically every Monday afternoon, we seek God's wisdom. We seek His wisdom. We seek His heart and passion for what God wants for our church. And we ask Him, invite Him, show us practical solutions. Inspire us open doors for solutions to difficult and trying situations. We seek him on these things because we know that if we trust him, he'll guide our steps in these particular ways. Okay. 
Servant leadership, our next one here. And, you know, we could use Jesus as our model, but Jesus is perfect. And he could be the model for several of these different leadership styles, all combined into one in one perfect package. And Moses is our, is our example here, is as imperfect as he is. But servant leadership focuses primarily on the growth and well-being of the people and the communities to which they belong, heavily utilizing delegation. So servant leadership looks primarily like someone who really, they lead by doing alongside and taking care and focusing on the needs of the people underneath them. Every leader should do that to some extent, but this is maybe a primary emphasis that a a servant leader takes in their style of leadership. And if you look at how Moses was incredibly humble, look at Numbers chapter... um, Numbers chapter 12, verse 7. Numbers chapter 12, verse 7. I'll flip over there real quick. Numbers chapter 12, verse 7. Numbers chapter 12, verse 7. Here we go. And it says this. I'm going to start actually verse 6. And he said, this is Moses speaking. Listen to what I say. If there is a prophet among you from the Lord, I make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. Not so my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my household. I speak to him directly, openly, and not in riddles. He sees the form of the Lord. Moses had a very special relationship with God. Moses knew that he was God's servant and served the people as God directed him in a very powerful, powerful way. He knew his place with God. He knew that he was God's servant. He knew that he would only be in that capacity because God himself was working. And I believe at the end of Deuteronomy it says, no one has ever walked the earth that was more humble than Moses. I don't think Moses wrote that part. But that was a descriptor for Moses. And humility is a marked characteristic of someone who's a servant leader. When he was told, you know, he was overwhelmed with all the people needing advice from him and handling disputes. He was overwhelmed. He couldn't serve everybody. And so what does he do? He delegates his responsibilities. Jethro approaches him, his father-in-law, and says, you can't do all this. Appoint other guys, you can. And a servant leader, if he really cares about taking care of all the people underneath him, he's going to delegate that servant heart, that ability to serve, which is why our deacon's ministry is so powerful here and so key because, hey, we're only five pastors, right? And all five of us pastors have several deacons that serve underneath us and all of them serve every single member in our church. No one should fall through the cracks because we have such awesome deacons serving, modeling this servant leadership and so we need to be incredibly grateful for those who do that. An example of this, and sort of world leadership, be Mother Teresa, who led to serving other people. And her life was marked by that. Our big takeaway here, never limit. Oh, I'm getting ahead of myself here. When you put others first, Jesus becomes front and center. When you put others first, Jesus is the one that gets the credit. Jesus is the one that people will see. And it's a special thing indeed. All right. Situational leadership. Joshua is our prime example for this particular leadership style. Situational leadership adapts the style of leading to suit the current need through telling, selling, participating, and delegating. This is a particular kind of theory of leadership. And Joshua's a good example of that, telling the Israelites what they need to do directly from God and selling them on it. I don't like the word selling as much, but the idea of, hey, this is why this is important. This is why this matters. Participating, hey, he's not just telling everybody to do it. He's in the thick and thin with them. He's fighting right alongside with them. Joshua was a warrior and also delegating others to take care of important tasks. And when he, you look at Numbers chapter 14, 12 men went to spy on Canaan, 10 were bad, 2 were good, right? 
the two good spies, Caleb and Joshua. And Joshua had this amazing report. The promised land is great. It's full of, it's a land flowing with milk and honey. God came and give this to us. Trying to convince the people of these things. A tough situation that Joshua stepped up in a difficult time and had faith when he was filling the shoes for Moses and God was calling him to cross the Jordan River in its flood stage, which at its flood stage can be close to a mile wide at times. I mean, it can be pretty stinking massive and very scary. Joshua helped them cross the Jordan. Joshua helped them have faith. Joshua's the one that convinced him, hey, walking around the city of Jericho and shouting, that's a good strategy because God told us to do it. He led them through these difficult calls of faith that God had put them in. When the conquest of Ai, the first attempt went wrong because Achan stole some things that did not belong to them. He coveted them. And Joshua handled that swiftly and with prejudice. It was a difficult situation. Then the second time they tried to attack Ai, he had a great battle plan. They sent out a number of people, small forces out to the city and drew the people out of the, the city. And then when the people were out of the city, the rest of the army swooped in behind and took, took them out. They put more thought into it. Joshua was a thoughtful person. He attacked situations with care and adapted his style of leadership as needed to be. Sometimes he was the one really commanding them, commanding them to do things. Sometimes he was a person not in charge, but convincing other people to follow the right thing. And then the you know, when he's dividing the land, you look at Joshua 13 through 21. He's a delegator, right? All right, this is your area now. You take care of the rest of the Canaanites in your area. So Joshua conquered the land of Canaan for the most part, but then they divided up the land. There's still just a loose federation of tribes. He delegated the responsibility to each tribe to take care of their own. This is your land. There's still a bunch of small areas and pockets and people groups you need to go take care of. And he delegated that out. And, and so that situation called for that because it was a good way to go and approach it. And finally, we see his final challenge in Joshua chapter 23 to 24. His, his leadership starts to change again from this commanding person to this, and it's not a delegator anymore. Now he's really passing on this final wisdom. He's, he's guiding them, shepherding them. His leadership starts to change as his needs for the people change as well. A good example of situational leadership is George W. Bush. George H. W. Bush. Um, I'm trying to think if I meant George H. Bush or H. W. Bush. I'm going to go with W. on that one. When 9-11 came, he had to adjust the kind of leader that he was. Remember, George Bush, George W. ran his, his sort of like campaign trail thing was compassionate conservatism. And while it probably remained true for the most part through his leadership as president, after 9-11, compassion was not the approach to deal with terrorists. He had to change his leadership approach in many ways when that happened and adjust to some pretty trying circumstances. A takeaway for this, never limit how God can use you if you're willing. If you're willing to be used by him, there's no telling what he'll do. Don't limit God. Trust him. Oh God, I don't think I'm able to do that. I just don't think I have the capacity to do it. You know, for me, it's like, I don't think I could ever teach five-year-olds anything. I used to joke when I was a middle school teacher and Brooke was an elementary teacher. I taught Old Testament Bible to middle school students five days a week for eight hours a day. It was, it was fun. I loved it. And Brooke and I would always joke because she was an elementary teacher, first grade, sometimes second grade. And I would always say, I could never, ever do what you do. I could not deal with it. Bunch of crazy kids all trying to learn stuff. Squirrely. One plus one is what? Spelling. No, thank you. And she would say, I could never do what you do. Teaching middle school kids, they're so disrespectful. They say the craziest things. You've had a kid put dirt in your drink. You've had a kid show up with a knife carving his name in the desk. I had a kid put a gecko on me one time. My first year of teaching was fun. I didn't, had no idea what I was doing. No idea. I was a, trained to be a youth pastor, not to be a Bible teacher in a Christian school. 
No idea. But I had a great leader, a great principal that walked alongside me, showed me how it was done, kept me accountable, gave me wise input when I needed it. And when a kid showed up with a knife, I could walk across and go, what do I do with this? <laughs> What's the policy for the, the pocket knife in the desk? Right? Different situations, different challenges. But never limit how God can use you if you are willing. God can do much with willingness. Sometimes we think, man, I've got all these skills and talents. God can do a lot with my skills and talents. God sometimes uses the most unskilled, most untalented people who are incredibly willing. Never limit God. The last leadership style we'll look at tonight is transformational leadership. Transformational leadership. A good example of this is David. David is a great example of this. because transformational leadership is they inspire those in their care to strive beyond required expectations to work toward a shared vision that changes them and the social systems they're a part of. David radically transformed Israel. Israel, you know, really under King Saul, there was not a whole lot of unity there. There was some, but their borders were pretty porous. The Philistines were a massive problem for them still. I mean, see, look, a Goliath, right? Challenging the Israelites, and Saul cowering in fear to that. And David challenges Goliath and says, well, who is this person challenging the living God? And that moment transformed Israel from that point. It was a watershed moment for them. Here's the guy who truly trusts God, who truly has a heart for God, who's willing to do something scary and bold for, for them. And, it, and people followed him because of that. He was able to transform Israel. After King David, Israel's borders were secure. And God used his difficult experiences as a fugitive. In fact, while he was a fugitive, running away from King Saul, he spent some time in Philistia, where many postulate that he actually learned in in the skill of making true swords, how to make actual metal swords they could use. And so after King David, they have more of a technological advantage after that, and have a true army, and he erected a bunch of different centuries and stuff around the border of Israel and kept it secure. So when his son Solomon steps up, you really have a true time of peace. But David was incredibly transformational, had a, a great vision for the country, and God radically used him in some cool ways. There's an interesting passage in 1 Samuel 22, verses 1 through 2, where there's these disgruntled men. And David, through his leadership, takes these disgruntled men and they follow him, and they are transformed into the, his mighty men that fall alongside him and follow him. He says, come, come with me and you'll be safe. He had a tremendous influence on those around him, and they were no longer different. He changed the way they operated in many ways. He kind of confronted the way that kings would operate, because, you know, after King Saul died, David, David had a chance to take Saul's life. He refused to do so, though. He refused to do it. Who am I to take the life of God's anointed, he would say. And then when Saul finally did die, and David was anointed, could step in as king, he did what kings in his day would never do. He asked the question, who's left of King Saul's line? I want to take care of them. And kings in those days, if they took over, they would make sure every single person, the previous king, and all their family were dead and wiped out. Not David. David sought out, was intentional, and asked, is there anybody left? And Mephibosheth, this literally lame person's son of his best friend Jonathan, was still alive. And David invites Mephibosheth to eat at his own table, to live in the palace and take care of him. David through his particular leadership style, was very transformed. No one was the same again after being around David. Very unique individual. And if we look at an example for this, it's our leadership in the world today. Uh-oh. Clicker is, is going out on me. Go to the next slide. There we go. And Martin Luther King Jr., very transformative leader, right? Our nation would not be the same without him. Again, all these leaders that we see are flawed, greatly flawed individuals. 
Some of them are even more flawed than others, right? But still an example of these particular leadership styles. Our takeaway from transformational leadership is this. Only God can change the heart of mankind. Only God can change the heart of mankind, but He can use you for that change. God, in His mercy and grace, allows us to be part of His plan to rescue those around us. He can use you. Ultimately, though, it's His Holy Spirit that transforms man's heart. Now, I've got a series of verses here. We might not have time for that. I don't think we do. So, um, if we do, I might leave it at that and go from there. But you see the Scripture passages in your notes. I want to encourage you to do a little more reading on that. Look at each Scripture passage and, and ask the question, what is the wise idea here about leadership? If I pick this verse apart, what is the wise idea about leadership? What can I glean about leadership from God's Word from this particular passage? And I want to encourage you to write it down and make it a devotion for the morning. Maybe read one verse every day for a week and just see how that goes. But that is your homework. I wasn't sure if we had time for it, and sure enough, we do not. And even had these nifty little papers you write on too, but now it's just a really good fan. All right. But let's move on to our final question. Um, and so these Scripture passages, you ask the question, what does Scripture give us for leading well? I encourage you all to do that. Last question, we'll look at who can I encourage to lead? Who is in my life? Who has God put in my life that I can encourage to lead? Maybe it's your kids. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's your grandkids. Maybe it's people in your grow group choir or where you're able to serve, maybe siblings. Who can I lead? Who can I invest in or challenge to lead themselves? You know, we've been designed to lead and Jesus channels that into a mission. He takes this innate thing about us that God has designed us as humans to be active participants in our world. And Jesus at the, at the Great Commission channels that very DNA of ours into a particular mission to rescue others and rescue this world, to spread the gospel. It's a verse we're all very familiar with, a passage we might know all too well. But I want us to turn and look at Matthew chapter 18, 18 through 20. Matthew chapter 18, 18 through 20. Put yourself in the disciples' shoes. You've gone through hell and back with Jesus. This roller coaster up and down. Hey, he's going to be the next Messiah, and he's dead. And now he's risen back from life. This is amazing. He's back. Look at this. And people see it. You know, Peter's confronted. Will you feed my sheep? Will you feed my sheep? And Jesus asks him three times. And yet he's restored and enabled to continue to do what he has to do. And they meet on top of this mountain. And we have the Great Commission. Jesus gives his final words to the disciples. And Jesus came near to them and said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Think about the things it's saying about leadership in here too, as we've been talking about it. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. Remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. We've heard this probably hundreds of times in our life if you've grown up in the church or gone to church. But this is our ultimate calling as leaders in whatever capacity God has given us. To make disciples. To pour into somebody else for the gospel. To make a difference. She said all authority is with him and he's going to move and work through us if we trust in him. The Holy Spirit is leading us and moving in us. And He's taught us much. You've grown up in the church. You've lived in the church almost all your life. And you're a leader. You have a tremendous amount of knowledge. Don't keep that to yourself. Pass it on to somebody else. Pass that torch. 
invest in somebody else and encourage them to lead. Disciples make more disciples. And this is important for us. You think about the Apostle Paul. Who poured into the Apostle Paul's life? Barnabas, the encourager. And then Paul poured into Titus's life, into Silas's life, into Timothy's life. They went on to make a huge difference. Who will you pour into? Who are you pouring into? Pour into another person's life so they will in turn pour into another's. It'll not be wasted effort or wasted time. And that's what God has called us to do as leaders. And whatever style you have, whatever capacity you have for influence, pour into someone else. And I promise you, if you do it in a way that's honoring to God, that person will pour into somebody else. And that's a legacy of leading. Well, that's it. We're going to close out our time in prayer. We're even done before 7 o'clock. So, yay. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for leading us. We thank you for the example you've set before us. You didn't just tell your disciples what to do. You modeled it. You didn't say, you go die on your cross while I wait and watch. Do a good job. No, you died on the cross for us. You modeled what it means to lay down your life for somebody else. And not just for like people that like you, but for people that hate you. God, we want to lead like you. God, we want to confess to you right now there are times where we're complacent. There's times where we don't take seriously the opportunities we have to make a difference in those you've placed in our life. God, I pray you open our eyes to opportunities you've set before us that sometimes we're blind to to make a difference. Give us words to speak in the right moments. Show us how you've designed us and how you can use us in a unique way to influence those around us in a way that brings you glory. May you be honored. May you be magnified. May you be famous because of how we have sought you and sought to be faithful to what you have taught us. Help us to pass these on to the next generation, to those you've entrusted to our care. We pray this in your holy and perfect name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you all for being a part of this and talking about biblical leadership and going deep on that. Pastor Wes should be here next Wednesday, and all should be well. He'll go back into his end times series. But until then, y'all have a good night.